And so if you have a, a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're working our way verse by verse, section by section through this book. Uh, it's an Old Testament book. It's part of the wisdom literature in Scripture. And the, the, this book was, was written by, at least the, the material came from uh, Solomon, who, as you know, was a man of great wisdom, but then also a man who ended up for a time walking away from the Lord into idolatry, even though he had so much wisdom and so much wealth that it didn't ultimately at the end seem to, to bring him to the place spiritually that he needed to be. And so most scholars think that then this, this wisdom coming out of Ecclesiastes is him really reflecting on the meaning and the purpose of life. Why am I here? What am I doing? And so it's looking at life under the sun, life without reference from God. Is there meaning? Is there purpose? Is there hope? And with reference to God, is there meaning, purpose, and hope? And so you, you'll remember if you were here last week that we looked at uh, verse 1 through verse 8 of chapter 3. And this is the, the, the famous poem from Solomon where he's talking about there's a time for everything, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up. And it's, it goes back and forth with these, these pairs of opposites showing the, the whole totality of life, that there is a time for every matter under heaven. And here, as what I'll be reading, he's picking up on the same logic of this, this idea that there is a time for everything and that God lays out in his sovereign purpose for the world. And so again, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 9. And if you don't have a Bible with you, this is in your bulletin on page 9. So again, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. What gain has the worker for his to from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Um, Father, we pray for your guidance to understand, your guidance to see Jesus here, even in the Old Testament, to apply your word to our life, that we know that it, it, it just goes over our head unless your spirit is at work. And so we pray for the, your guidance, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, perhaps you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He's the, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you read that as a child. Uh, but another 
well-known book by C.S. Lewis is called The Screwtape Letters, and I highly recommend the book. It's a look at the theme of temptation, uh, spiritual warfare, but in a very creative way, C.S. Lewis looks at it from the opposite perspective. So it's letters of a demon named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood, and he's trying to give him sage advice about how to tempt mere humans, who he calls his patients. And in the second letter of Screwtape to Wormwood, he talks about a time where he almost lost one of his patients, where, where spiritually they almost wandered away to the enemy, the, to the, the kingdom of God that he's constantly trying to oppose. And what happened was that, that his patient, who had been a lifelong faithful atheist, wandered into a museum, into the British Museum, to read. And there he was, reading a good book, surrounded by the beauty of art. And the man began to ask the big questions of life, to be, began to think about meaning, purpose, something very similar to what we see in our text. What gain has the worker from all his toil? Is there any purpose in life, any meaning in life? And immediately, it was red alert for Wormwood, because he or for a screw tape, uh, because he he recognized that that this is a bad place. That when people start seeing real beauty around them and asking big questions, that that can only lead them to the source of beauty, to to God Himself. And he knew that at that point he couldn't present arguments because reason itself belongs to God, and so he can't present reasoned arguments to try to oppose what was happening. And so what he did was gently suggest, you know, these are big questions to think about before lunch. Uh, and just said, you know, you really should go have lunch and then just come back and think about these big, important questions. And so the man thought, you know what? It's close to lunchtime. I'm just, that's a good idea. So he got up, left. As soon as he left the museum, he was back out onto the street, the noise of cars, people selling newspapers, the hustle and the bustle. And it's, it's what Screwtape called real life. And real life, then, is the, the noise of cars and people trying to sell newspapers. Real life is not the big questions of life. And as soon as he gets him back out in the street to lunch, then suddenly his job is done. There's no more consideration of the big questions. And as we look at our text today, at, in verse 9, I think that Screwtape would be very concerned with the question that Solomon asks in verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? And so you can almost imagine Solomon sitting by this beautiful temple that he had constructed in this, by this beautiful palace full of gold and all of the wealth around him. And, and then he begins to ask, what gain? What's the point? Is there any purpose? This is the question that he's been wrestling with. And though Screwtape would try to send him to lunch so that he wouldn't think about it, Solomon, thankfully for our sake, he isn't easily distracted. Then instead of leaving for lunch, he begins to, to lay out this picture of life. And what, what he lays out for us are, are four realities Four realities that help answer the question, what gain has the worker from his toil? And so the first reality is this, that Solomon calls us to remember 
the reality of beauty. The reality of beauty. Look at verse 11 in your Bible. Solomon says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And what that is saying is is that it's not that every event that in your life, good and bad, are, are beautiful, but it's saying that, that of the beauty that God has given us, that, that he's given that beauty for time, that the beauty itself is a gift of God. And so you can think about the beauty that you are able to experience, that we all can experience beauty in life. It could be the, the beauty of a sunset. It's, it's beautiful in its time. You see it and you, you wish that someone was there in the car to experience the beauty of the sunset with you, but they're not there. And so it, it disappears and it was beautiful in its time. Or you can think of a, a beautiful piece of art. You go into an art museum, you see the art and you think this is beautiful. Or it could be dance or poetry or music or architecture or even a relationship where there's beauty and friendship, beauty in a, in a healthy marriage, beauty in the relationship between a parent and a child, that, that we see so much artistic, relational, cultural beauty in the world around us. And if you think about it, the, the beauty that we experience is actually an argument for the existence of God. I, I remember in college when I was a music major as well, uh, that, that I was going through a moment of doubt, wondering, does God really exist? Is there really meaning beyond this life? And I turned on a piece by Johann Sebastian Bach, um, his St. Matthew's Passion, uh, which also has the beautiful words about God that Brianna was talking about that she sings. But uh, that as I, as I listened to it, just, just thinking, does, does a, a clump of cells experience beauty like this? Does, does this beauty come from nothing and just return to nothing? Why do I even have a concept of, of beauty? And, and immediately it, it pushed me to the, the beauty of God, that, that we're not just animals that are here from a time, that God has given beauty in its time. But then you can also just think about that in your life, that you have the privilege of experiencing beauty in the world. It could be fleeting. It's, it doesn't endure, but yet it's true beauty. And, and I, I always think about it like the moon, where the, the moon gives light, but not from itself, and that it's reflecting the light of the sun. And that's the way that beauty that we experience in this life is, that's what it is. It's, we're, we're seeing beauty, but if we have eyes to see that, that it's the, the, the beauty, the light isn't coming from what is beautiful here itself, but it's this reflection of the beauty of God that is poured out to us, the God who has made everything beautiful in its time. So remember the question, what gain has a worker from his toil? That part of the gain that we experience is real beauty in this life. And that's the first reality here, the reality of beauty. But then... Solomon presents a second reality, that he calls us to remember the reality of eternity, of eternity. Look at verse 11 there in your Bible once more. It says that God also has put eternity into man's heart. Isn't that interesting that we have have beauty, 
this experience of beauty in this life. And, and what this is saying is that as we experience beauty, which we do experience, that there's something deep, deep down in our hearts that feels like the beauty that we're experiencing should last forever. That when you're experiencing something amazing, you think this shouldn't end. This shouldn't ever come to an end because God has planted beauty and this eternity in our hearts. And so you're experiencing a beautiful piece of music, but then the piece ends. And it didn't deliver the lasting satisfaction that you thought it would. Or, or you're experiencing the beauty of relationship, and then it's shattered by death or by betrayal, that the beauty comes to an end. And, and we feel that in our hearts, and we, we feel the weight of that. We, we sense that, that this is not the way that the world is supposed to be. And the reason we think this is not the way the world is supposed to be is because, according to the Bible, we are created in the image of God. We are creatures of God. And it's what theologians call the, the sensus divinitatis, this sense of divinity that God plants deep down inside of every person, where we know the, that God is. It says in Romans 1, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. That God has planted this sense of the eternal, this sense of something more, something deeper in our hearts. And that's part of the reason that when you look around the world, there are so many religions. That's why in every culture you go to an island somewhere there is bound to be some idea of religion, some idea of the eternal, because God has put eternity into the heart of man. And I think that just as beauty is an argument for the existence of God, this sense of the eternal, I think, is also an argument for the existence of God. That as you look around the world, you don't experience anything that is eternal, you don't experience anything that is unchanged. And I'm, I'm talking experience it through your sense experience. You've never seen something eternal with your eyes or touched something eternal or smelt something or you, know, you go through your five senses. I won't try to list them because I'll probably forget one. Uh, but you think of your five senses uh, and, and, and have you ever experienced something eternal? And, and for, for the, what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, that, that, that it comes to an end. Things are passing away, that this is a world of flux, a world of change. That's something that philosophers wrestle with. But then you, you ask the question, wait a second, if, if I've never, if through my sense experience, all I know is change and flux and mutability, how is it that I have an idea of an eternal God? Where does that idea come from? How is it that I have an idea of being outside of time or the idea that there is an eternal plan or that there's life after death? Where do we get that idea? And according to the scripture, this is something that God has put into the heart of his creature, that God has put eternity into the heart of man, that he, is, he has given us this sense that the heavens declare the glory of God and, and we have a heart that can respond to that, that can see the reality of the eternal. And so that's the, the second reality here that we said, we had the, the, that opening question, what gain has the worker from his toil? And part of the gain and part of our, our life is, is lived in light of the eternal that God has planted 
in our hearts. But then Solomon goes on to present a, a third reality here. The Solomon calls us to remember the, the reality of futility. Because yes, we have a sense of beauty. Yes, we have a sense of eternity. But when that comes together in light of the change and the struggles of your life, that it can bring a sense of futility, of limitation. Look again at verse 11 in your Bible. He says that God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so we're left in this very difficult position in life where we know that there's something more. We know that life isn't the way that it's supposed to be. But yet, as we consider the world of change, if we leave it up to just human reason, just me sitting down to try to figure out life, can I, through my unaided human reason, piece together the eternal plan of God? I can't. That I know that there is an eternal plan, but I can't discover it through my own reason because I'm locked into this experience of time and change. And maybe you're familiar with Martin Heidegger. He's an existentialist philosopher. Uh, and his famous book is Being in Time. And one of the ideas that he talks about is this idea of thrownness, thrownness, that we're thrown into this world, cast into the, to the world, cast into time, locked into this experience of time. And, and from his perspective, apart from any reference of God as an existentialist philosopher, he's saying that we're, we're locked into time, and the only certainty that we have is our future death. And so he says, latch on to your death because that's the only thing you know for sure is going to happen in the future. And of course, that is a very discouraging way to look at life, but it's life under the sun. It's, it's life with this futility that we see here from Solomon that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. And there's a, a, a wonderful commentator on scripture, Matthew Henry, um, he, he lived in the 1600s, wrote a commentary on the whole Bible. And, and he, commenting on this, said that, that it's like a painting, where if you ever have the opportunity of seeing someone paint a painting, um, maybe you go to a museum and you see an artist there painting, that, that it can be hard to know what the, the final picture is going to be. That You might see a line here, you see some color there. You say, I don't know what's happening. And as you, as you watch, eventually what it will be emerges and you see it for what it is. And according to Matthew Henry, that's the way that life is. We have this, this sense of the eternal. We know that there is a, a finished design. We know that the painting is going somewhere. We know that there is a wise artist who is, who is shaping it according to his eternal plan and his eternal purpose. But yet, from our experience in life, we're watching the painting unfold. We don't know what it's going to be. He also uses the image of architecture, where sometimes you'll see a building under construction, and all you see are you know, a few uh, posts in the ground. Everything is torn apart. It looks terrible. And then you drive past a few months later, and they've put landscaping in. They've done the siding. And, oh, it's a really beautiful building. I had no idea that it would turn into something so beautiful. And that's the way it is with life. That, that It says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord. That's his eternal perspective. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, 
that we may do all the words of this law. Now, we're not surprised. We're actually to see the reality of futility, to not be surprised that we can't figure the world out, can't figure out the eternal plan through our our feeble little minds, that, that the eternal plan is beyond anything that we can fathom. So we know that God has an eternal plan, but we don't know what that is through the human mind alone. And so that is then the, the third reality here in our text, that, that as we consider the opening question, what gain has the worker from his toil? Part of it is to say there is futility, that we don't always understand what God is doing in the world. But then here's the, the fourth and the final reality, that Solomon calls us to remember the reality of divine sovereignty, divine sovereignty. And so we've, we've seen the, the beauty, the eternity, the futility, but then ultimately what draws us out of the futility of life is this sense of the sovereignty of God. So look at, at verse 12 in your Bible. He continues, he says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Uh, they also, that they also should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so he's saying that as we, as we labor, as we work in life, that this sovereign God with his eternal perspective he gives gifts to his creatures, good gifts to his people. And, and one of the good gifts that God gives is, is just an opportunity in life to, to live and to serve. And so you see that, that he describes the opportunity to be joyful, that part of our, our, our role is joy, regardless of what is going on in the circumstances of our life, to rejoice in the Lord. The, the other opportunity he outlines here is to do good. That we have the opportunity to serve our neighbor, to serve those who are in need, to, to serve the Lord, to do good in the time that God has given us on this earth. And he says that also we have the opportunity to take pleasure in the simple things of life, to eat, to drink, to enjoy a, a good meal with friends, to enjoy the beauty of that, knowing that it won't last forever, knowing that if we look to that as our, as our life, as our everything, there's a sense of futility but instead, what he does finally at the end here is he calls us to this eternal perspective. He Look at verse 14. He says, again, I perceived, same words he used in verse 12, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. And so just in a few verses, you see this beautiful statement of the sovereignty of God, that God has this eternal, immutable purpose. And he's saying that, that in God's eternal plan, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. It's, it's complete in its form. It's not composed of parts where you can add a little bit, take a little bit away, uh, that it's what theologians call an eternal presence. Just imagine looking at all of time as an eternal moment of present reality, that that is reality for God. Nothing is added to it. Nothing is taken away from it, that God has done it. That's the sovereignty of God. But then he says that that, that sense of God's sovereignty should lead to this godly fear. He says that, God did this 
so that people fear before him. And it's, it's not a fear that pushes you away from God, but this fear that drives you to God to say, I can't understand everything. I, my perspective is limited. I see the futility of life. I can't understand everything, but I, I fear and reverence the holy God of the Bible who ordains all things, who works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The one who knows the beginning from the end, the one who's shaping history itself for his glory. And then all we can do then is just to sit back and to marvel at the plan of God. We, we think of the opening question, what gain has the worker from his toil? And that apart from God, there is no gain. But yet when we consider this, through the lens of God's plan, we see that there's great meaning, great purpose, great hope. And it's ultimately that purpose that finds its yes and its amen in Jesus Christ. That the eternal God, the unchanging God, who ordained the beginning from the end, enters into time. That, that he was, his life was beautiful in its time. But then his life was fleeting, that eventually he went to the cross, he suffered, he died, the his disciples experienced the futility of his death, saying that this seems like it seems meaningless. What is God doing? That as they saw him hanging on the cross, they were locked into time. They didn't have the perspective yet of seeing the, 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 the end of the story, that they thought God is doing something. I don't know what it is. And of course, it's the same for us, that when we are in dark moments and we feel like God isn't working, that God is not acting, when we look at the cross, we can see how God in his tapestry of grace is able to draw something beautiful out, even from the darkest of moments, that, the, that there becomes beauty in what is accomplished through the cross, even as the Son of God dies in our place, bearing the wrath of God for us. And then when we repent and trust in Jesus, we can say, my, my labor is not in vain, my toil is not in vain, that there is beauty in Christ, that the beauty that will last forever. And there is eternity in Christ, eternity that we can experience forever with Christ, that there is no futility in Christ because he gives meaning and, and purpose. And ultimately, we rest in his sovereignty, which is full of love and power for those whom he has called to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal purpose, that nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken away, that it's fixed and sure. But then I thank you for the, the calling that you've given to us here under the sun to do good, to, to rejoice in this life, to enjoy the simple pleasures of food and drink and beauty that you've given to us. And we pray that we can do that. We can enjoy the gifts that proclaim your glory. But Lord, we, we pray that you would protect us from the idolatry of looking to the beauty of this life as our God, that we would look beyond the beauty here to the beauty of Christ, that, that our sense of the eternal would drive us to Jesus, and that in him we could see the one who is eternal life himself, eternal life incarnate, and that in Jesus we could know for sure that we have eternal life because he died, rose again, is coming in glory. We look to him in faith and reliance. We pray in Jesus' name.